Well, good morning, Church of the City. Spencer Adams here, pastor of Missional Living for our church community. I am really excited for us to be back together for week three of our vision series. I don't know about you, but I feel a renewed sense of purpose of who we are as a church, um, even just from preparing the messages so far. And so I'm excited this morning that we get to hear from another voice. I hope you're uh, being encouraged by this time together. This morning we're going to talk about the family of God. And one of the beautiful things about the family of God is that it is diverse. And part of that diversity is that it includes young and old. And so I thought it could be fun this morning for us to ask similar questions that we've been asking of different people in our church family over the last number of months, but to ask them of some of the younger folks in our community. So I will now turn it over to them to fill us in on some things that have been going on in their lives. All right, I am back. I think I can honestly say that I have not been this excited for giving announcements in quite a long time because I am really, really excited about some of the things that we have coming up. First, though, it's always exciting when we get to announce uh, a new member to our church family. And this morning, I get to announce to you all that Connor Rimke has joined us as a member. Uh, Connor and his brother Curtis have been part of our community for a little while now. And uh, if you think of it, send Connor a message uh, or send him a text welcoming him to our church community. Um, it's always, always a joy to be able to make these announcements. Next is uh, there has been updates to Ontario's gathering limits, the regulations around that. You've likely heard about that at this point. Um, in summary, it's that for these uh, private events, social gathering type uh, times, um, those are limited now indoors to 10 people and when it's outdoors to 25. And so if you're trying to wrap your mind around how that affects uh, life within Church of the City, I'd encourage you to, to go to guelph.churchofthecity.ca slash COVID-19. And there you can see the most current version of what we call the plan about uh, how we as a church are going to live in light of current restrictions. And so we've updated that in light of those new changes. Uh, next, something that I kind of teased a little bit last week um, is a university student hangout, a study break time. Uh, we're going to be taking this on Sunday, October 18th at 12.30 p.m. This is a chance, uh, as I said last week, we love to be able to connect with students, and that's a challenge this year, but um, we didn't just want, you know, months and months to go by without us getting the chance to say hello again, talk about things going on for us as a church, and so we'll be doing that on October 18th. Like I said, it'll be at Royal City Park, and we would encourage you to uh, dress warmly, obviously, and bring some food for yourself, bring a lunch, uh, um, or a snack, because we're just going to be hanging out and playing some um, pretty casual games together. For that, you must register. And so to do that, you can go to guelph.churchofthecity.ca slash study break. And there you will find a link for registering for this event. We just have to do registrations now to make sure we're within limits, to know who's there for contact tracing, and all those exciting things. So go there and register if you are a university or college student. Similarly, if you are uh, part of our city youth, so this is from grades 6 all the way up to grade 12, we have a what we're calling our city youth one-day fall retreat coming up. Uh, this is going to be on Sunday, October 4th 
from 3.30 to 7.30 at the home of the Johnsons, which is 6724 Concession 1 Puslinch. Um, like I said, this is for both junior and senior high. Uh, our youth leaders are really, really excited about getting uh, back together with you all. Um, again, you'll need to register for this, so you can do that by emailing cityyouth at churchofthecity.ca. For that, please bring a mask, bring yourself some food for that as well, and dress warmly. But when you email uh, Michaela, our city youth coordinator, at that uh, email address, she'll be able to give you any information that you need, okay? And last but not least, I am super excited that we finally brought all the details together for this. Church family, on Thursday, October 8th, we are going to gather together for an evening of worship. Uh, I have deeply missed getting to sing with all of you. So we're going to do that, as I said, Thursday, October 8th at 7 p.m. That's going to happen at Lakeside Church at what they call the barn. It's not actually in a barn. There's just a barn kind of off to the side. It's a big grassy area. So we're going to be gathered together outside. Yes, it'll be in October. Um, so it will be a little bit chilly, I imagine. It will be uh, getting dark as we're out there. You're realizing you know, not every detail is maybe how we would have scripted it for a time like this. And to be honest with you, I don't really mind that much. I'm just excited to be gathered together with you all and be able to sing. So that's what we're going to do. Um, we'll be socially distanced out there uh, and we'll do songs that we're all familiar with as a church family. We won't be tossing a whole bunch of new things in there. And we'll email you out the lyrics uh, of the songs that we're going to sing. Okay, we're not going to do paper things because then we're handing things out and there's the opportunity for too close contact. Okay, so we'll be emailing out the lyrics. Um, so some things to bring for that. Okay, a mask. Um, we're actually going to just encourage everybody to leave those on the entire time, really, um, as, as long as you're able. Uh, bring chairs or a blanket for you and your family. Bring warm clothes, as I said, and you might want to even consider bringing yourself a flashlight or maybe like a little camping lantern, because like I said, it will be getting dark uh, while we're out there, okay? And as with these other events, you must register to attend, okay? Because we will have to cap this event at 100 people. We are still within that uh, restriction. Um, uh, there's this sort of an exemption for religious groups, but, but that's still the limit, okay, is 100 people. So to register for this, you can just go to our homepage, so guelph.churchofthecity.ca, and if you scroll down a little bit there, you'll see a link to register, okay? I am super excited to be with you, to be able to sing and worship uh, to God, our Father. So uh, yeah, be there Thursday, October 8th. That's it. I know that was a lot. If you have any questions about any of those things, you can just email us at info at churchofthecity.ca, okay? And we'll clear up any questions you have. Let's now uh, sing together. Now is the moment that we take uh, each morning that we're gathered together to remind ourselves to be generous. And as I said earlier, we are talking this morning about being the family of God. And one thing that families do is provide for one another. And so I would encourage you to uh, continue that practice even while we are um, not gathering together in person. But um, remember to, to give, to be generous, recognizing that God our Father has given everything to us.
Good morning, everyone. I'm Dave Martinen. I'm one of the uh, elders, candidate elders for the board. And this morning, it's my pleasure and privilege to be able to teach you from God's word. As we start today, I do have a question that I want to propose to you. And the question is this, how are families formed? How do you determine what is a family? How do you decide whether the family is nuclear, uh, a mom, a dad who may or may not have children? Uh, in other words, how do we define family? And I want to suggest to you that families are defined by some kind of agreement by the people who are founding or the people who are developing that family unit. Uh, the best way, I think, that would be understood is if it was like a contract uh, where people who enter it agree to provide benefits, uh, agree to the terms of what this relationship is going to be. But when it comes to the Bible, contract is too small a word. It's too narrow. A better word for it is the word covenant. However, the word covenant outside of the scripture isn't commonly used in in our own terminology in the day. So if you asked someone that you knew, please define covenant for me, I think people would be a little perplexed and probably they would think that the word contract is the equivalent. But a contract defines benefits, whereas a covenant, the focus of a covenant is about relationship. It defines benefits. It says this is how the people in the relationship are going to benefit one another. But the focus of covenant is well beyond benefit, and it really defines relationship. Covenant based on relationship, the underlying principle or the foundation of that is loyalty. In other words, we're in this to benefit the people that are in this relationship. And that's an excellent way of defining a family that we are in this together because we love one another. And in the scriptural context, that means that God the Father has first established love for us in Jesus. And it is that love relationship that we have with God, that uh, vertical relationship, if you will, that really defines the horizontal relationships that we can have with one another as sisters and brothers. So it won't be a surprise to you then that if God is the one who's established the covenant with us, this is what he's done for us in Christ to have a relationship with us. And we understand broadly the terms of that is that Jesus Christ uh, became a man, was born of the Virgin Mary with the express purpose of entering our world, of living a perfect life, of dying on the cross, what is called a substitutionary death, meaning it was in the place that we deserved so that he could give mercy, grace, and forgiveness to us and win us back into a relationship that he defines this way. He is the father and we are his adopted family. So it won't come as a surprise then if God the father and Jesus' son mediated through the work of God the Holy Spirit would give us some rules to live by, some commandments, uh, that best serve the family. In our own families, we might call them the house rules. What is it that we expect of one another? What is it that we're going to do for each other? Uh, how is it that we're going to order our lives? Well, there are over a hundred commands in the New Testament that refer directly to the way that we should live with each other. They're often referred to as the one another's of the scripture. Love one another, 
care for one another, bear one another's burdens, those kinds of things. And these uh, one another's in the New Testament can be loosely um, defined as categories. In other words, we could take these hundred commands and we can put them sort of in lists where we see that they have a relationship with each other. And I would say that about a third of the commands of the one another's in the New Testament fit under the title of unity, promoting, keeping, doing everything to avoid breaking those things that have united us together under God's leadership as a family of believers. Another th third really comes under the word love. In other words, if we love one another, of course it's going to keep unity, but love is that specific action whereby we take our resources and we use them to benefit other people that are part of our family. So it's sacrificial, certainly includes care, uh, and it's always at the point of paying for it myself. In other words, my resource, my life, my choice invested for your benefit. The third area is humility. And what that really means as we bring together a, another grouping of um, commandments, and there's about a sixth of the commands, so a third, or half of a third, would be about um, preferring one another uh, above yourself. In other words, we do those things that advance and keep the family because we choose not only to love them and to be united with each other, but we do at that expense of preferring and caring for one another and promoting each other above ourselves. And the, the 11 remaining commands are various actions that benefit the family, things like encourage each other and bear one another's burdens and stimulate each other on to good works and give each other hospitality, those kinds of things. So we've defined a family as a people who have an agreement together called a covenant to walk before God in a way that honors him because of how we've been loved by him in Christ and that we've got all of this structure in place that tells us how to get along with each other. Are there any pictures of this in the New Testament? Is there any place that we could go to see it in action? And, and really, there are, are a great number of places. And I'm going to take you to two this morning. One of those places is Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2 is where the church is really being formed. For the first time, it's being gathered together beyond those followers of Jesus before his death, resurrection, and ascension. And we read Peter's great message, and then we read the result of it at the end of the chapter. And this is what we read. And they devoted themselves, that is the listeners, the responders, the people who are believing in the gospel through Peter's message. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were praising God and they had favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, I've read this section of scripture and I have two questions 
that I want you to spend some time in discovery. I want you to take a few moments and go through this passage and answer these questions. First one is, what do I, who is God in this passage? And what do I learn about God? So take a few moments and write out your observations. So what did you discover? What did you learn in this passage of scripture about God's activity? Well, the one thing in this section, this paragraph that really stood out for me is the very last verse, that as the people are gathered together, being a family of believers, that they're scattered into their families, the thing that marked them was that they were full of praise and worship to God. They were a people that were full of gratitude. And it says that as a result of their behavior, this amazing sentence, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The one thing that jumped out and, and really stood out for me is that God uses the church to demonstrate or to showcase a believing family, a large believing family, all of them adopted together through faith in Christ, and that how they relate to each other through all the one another's I've already described really demonstrates the gospel in action. In other words, people are looking at it and saying, oh, that's how the gospel affects people. Oh, that's how faith in Jesus Christ actually works out in day-to-day -day life. Look, look how these people love each other. People will see believers living as a family and say, well, you know what? Only God could do that. That's an amazing takeaway. That Jesus uses a functioning, healthy family of believers to demonstrate how the gospel really works. And it makes so much sense. Because really, people are invited to see how the gospel works, even as they're being invited to believe that Jesus is the author of the salvation he claims. Jesus draws people to himself as the church family demonstrates the transforming power of the gospel in everyday life. So now here's the second question that I want you to discover. Who is man in this passage of scripture? And what is it that men are instructed to do? What is it that man does? Take a few moments and write out a few notes that you discover about who man is and what he does in this section. So what did you find? There were four things that really stood out on this passage of scripture for me. The first one is that they 
realized that they needed to follow the instructions of Jesus and the gospel. It says in this passage of scripture that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. Now, what that really means is when you devote yourself to something, you really understand what it means and you are going to practice it. So the first mark of a family of believers is that they follow the instructions that comes from the people that Jesus sent out. So they know it and they do it. So we would say that first thing that we've learned in this passage of scripture is that when people know the gospel, they practice it. There was a second thing that stood out for me when I saw the behavior of people in this passage, who is man and what does he do? It says that they ate bread together, that they, they were the breaking of bread and prayers. And that's expanded a little bit further in the passage uh, where it says down in verse 26, day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. What this means is that these individuals are not only listening to truth and doctrine, but they were really practicing social community. They were gathering together and they were eating together. One of the marks of missional communities is this, that they get together and they share a meal. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm in a social gathering and someone gives me a cup of something to drink and something to nibble, suddenly the whole atmosphere relaxes and changes. Uh, the pace slows down and it's not so intense. We're not just there to learn. We're not just there to listen. We're there to participate. We have conversations. We tell stories. Maybe we turn to the person we haven't seen all week and say, well, how was your week? And then we listen attentively because we actually care about the people who are talking to us. And it matters to us how their week has gone. And we would even be thinking, if it's been a stressful week, that they can tell us that story and unburden themselves in some ways. Or maybe there's something I'm going to be able to do for them that's practical and helpful. So eating together in a gathering changes the dynamic of that gathering. Immediately, not only is it less formal, but it's a lot more attentive and interested, caring, talking, sharing about life. When we answer that question, how is it going with you? We end up going deeper in life. We learn more about one another and we care for each other in very practical ways. Now, there's a third thing that happens in these house-to-house -house gatherings because it says that they had everything in common in verse 45. They even went so far as to sell the things that they weren't needing or weren't using that they'd accumulated and they were using their resources to benefit other people within their group or within the wider church family. They met each other's needs. It means they had to make that choice that they were in this as a family to benefit each other and to give one another really practical help. And this mark of a church as it grows is probably best found in small groups because I don't know about you, but when I gathered together with Church of the City in reunion, and I've been really missing that, even when we gathered together in the park, it's not possible to have deep conversations on a continual basis with everybody in that room. But when you get small, when you join a missional community, and when you're serious in that community about caring for one another, then you really do learn what those needs are. In the big group, we can worship and we can be taught, but it's in the small group that life really becomes real and connected. 
and where we become more vulnerable as we talk with one another. So I know in our DNAs, we even go deeper again, that in those gender-based groups, we love one another, support one another, care for each other. And that's where good life happens and real support occurs. Now there's a fourth thing that stood out for me. And another mark of this was that their worship was full of gratitude. That these people, because they were experiencing not only the loving grace of Jesus and being adopted to God as their father, but the practice of it was that they were learning from one another. They were in a life journey together. They were sharing one another's needs. And what marked them at the end of the passage was that they were full of gratitude and it overflowed that when they came, when they were united, as we would call our reunion, what comes out of our hearts is the experience we've had in Christ all week. It marks us. It overflows from us. It enriches our, our worship. And we demonstrate our love for each other as we're loving God in those moments. You likely had more things, but those were the four that really stood out for me in this passage. And this is how a family is committed to connect to one another, to serve and love each other. Now imagine if everyone in every group in our church was living this out and doing these things, that they were attentively listening to and practicing what the gospel really is in life, that they were gathered in social community and they were eating together and sharing those things so everyone was being cared for, that they were looking after one another's needs and using their own resources to do it, and that they were marked by gratitude to God for the pleasure the privilege, the opportunity of really belonging to a family. That means that we grow deep, not only in our knowledge of truth, but in our practice of that truth. So is there another place that we could look and see these things affirmed? And I wanna take you to a second passage of scripture. This one is found in Job chapter 42 and verses 10 to 12. Let, let me read them for you. And it's written this way, it's at the end of Job's life. And if you know anything of the book, you'll know that he goes through incredible suffering. And he's really having an argument with God that is fueled by his friends who basically say, God doesn't allow his people to suffer. He's not going to mistreat them. He's going to rescue them. He's going to bless them. It really was the prosperity gospel. In other words, God is going to look after you and meet all of your needs. You're not going to have any problems. And here's Job. He's in a mess. He's lost his health. He's lost all of his assets. He's lost all of his children through death and calamity. And he is really suffering. At the end of the book, as God has a speech with him, tells him who he is and what he's about, Job repents, and God actually says, now you need to offer a sacrifice for those friends that weren't speaking my words. And he does this. And then this is what's written about Job and the group around him. And the Lord restored the fortune, fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then, he came, then came to him all of his brothers and sisters and all those who had known him before, and they ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comfort for all of the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And then it says this, 
and each one gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than at his beginning. So this is what I want to ask you again. Study the passage, dig into it, see what you can discover. And the first question is, who is God and what does he do? So what did you discover? For me, when I look at this in, verse, uh, in chapter 42 in verse 10, I realize that this is a summary of God's intent at the end of Job's life after he's gone through this severe testing. It says he blesses him. Not only does he bless him, but it says he restores his fortunes to him. And later in the chapter, or in, in this section of scripture in the chapter, it tells us exactly what that means. So what is the one thing that stands out that who is God? He is the one who blesses. He is the one from whom all this good comes from. And, and it's a summary. He gives him twice as much as he had before he suffered. He restores Job's health. He, is, he restores Job's wealth. And he restores Job's family, all of which was wiped out. Now, we might be curious about how God does this. And what comes in the next verses are the means and Really what I want you to do is take another moment, dig back into the passage and say, who is man and what does man do? So what did you discover about man at the end of this section? Well, I want to say that there were two things that I see that characterize the behavior of people in this passage. The first one is that this whole group of people gathers to Job. It says in the passage of scripture, then his brothers and his sisters, and all the people who had basically shunned him when he was going through all of his difficulties, came back to him on a certain day and celebrated with Job. Now, what does it mean? It actually means that they ended Job's isolation and loneliness. He's not on his own. Now, why was he on his own? Well, when, often when people suffer this incredible kind of calamity, people stand back because they're a little bit afraid to associate with someone like this. Maybe what's happened in their life would happen in mine, or maybe they don't even know what to say. They're afraid they would say the wrong thing. And so often in calamity, in trauma, in loss, people being afraid of saying the wrong thing don't say anything. And that can even be a greater kind of weight in the person who's suffering. At this point, they end that. They come and they associate with Job 
and they eat with him. And what this means is they're identifying and say to Job, you know, you're on the inside, you belong with us. We care about you. Uh, we want to restore friendship and fellowship with you. We want to renew our covenant relationship with you. And, and his family and friends had scattered, but now they return. And they're giving him place, belonging. They're giving him affection. They're giving him acceptance. They're sharing food. Uh, they're a community around him, and they bring him in. This is really the action of a healthy church. It brings people who, for whatever reason, are the outside, and it brings them back onto the inside. That's their behavior. They eat with him, it's relaxed. Now, I don't know about you, but during COVID, this is one of the things I really miss in my MC, that we're not able to have this because eating together, the government says, is a great way to spread illness. And they're really suggesting that we need to be careful to wear masks as appropriate, to maintain social distancing, to be careful about sharing food, those kinds of things. And we want to be good citizens and, and not break the law that the country is establishing. But it's something that I really miss. I really enjoy being in connection in a bubble with a group of people who can eat together and share life. And that's what they do with Job. They bring him in. Now, a second thing that I notice in this passage of Scripture is they also give him a gift. Each one gives him some money, and each one gives him a gold ring. It probably means that they had a plan, and they all talked about this, because they all show up with the same thing, and that's highly unlikely if they hadn't had a conversation outside of it. But what are they really doing by this? Well, they're taking from their possessions, and they're meeting Job's need. He'd been wiped out. He's got nothing. He needs to be reestablished. He needs to have a stake in life. He, he needs to have some asset. And so they come to him and they give him money and they give him a gold ring, which of course could be sold or bartered. And it's on the basis of what he receives from them that he rebuilds his empire. Now there's no real great risk in giving this to Job because he's a proven businessman. He's been highly successful. And the things that wiped out his, his life, wiped out his business, weren't his fault. They were calamities over which he had no power. And they reinvest in him. They say, you know what? Your life matters to us. Your success is important to us. And they reinvest in him. They use some of their asset. They care for him. Wow. That's what healthy churches do. They care for each other. They might not do everything that a person wants to have done for them, but they actually invest in real time, in real situation, in real circumstances. They meet needs. And that's what they do for Job, is they give from their resources, they meet his needs, and that's a powerful lesson for all of us within Church of the City and in our MC. We care for each other in practical ways. So here's a few takeaways that maybe I can gather all the things that we've learned. When you have a covenant relationship, and that's why MCs do have covenants, they actually decide how it is they're going to do life together, what they will do, how they're going to establish their relationship, how they're going to maintain their strength. And it works best when the family creates and keeps a covenant that defines who they are and what they're going to do. The second thing I would suggest to you is the church is best served when it grows large 
by intentionally becoming small. To have multiplied impact in the lives of the community, the smaller they become, as it were, in those groups, the greater the impact and influence they have, the greater number of people can really watch how it is they live. And so I'm a big fan of missional communities because I think that's where the church is really seen in its function. The third thing is that MCs are the easiest place to live out all of the one another's. Because we might say, well, I'm in the church and I don't really need to belong to a group and I don't even need to sort of join the church. I'm just going to be a follower of Jesus. Sounds great. Except when I ask you this question, well, who are you doing the one another's for? How are you actually loving practically? How are you taking your resources and benefiting people around you? How are you demonstrating humility? How are you keeping unity? Because you see, if we do it for this great group to which we don't really belong, we're probably fudging our obedience. We're probably really not getting it done. But in real time, in real life, with real people, at real cost, that's where the gospel really shows up in power and strength and demonstrates the truth that Jesus loves us and we, by our choice, are loving each other. God bless you as you serve. And I hope it motivates you to join an MC. It's where life really happens. We're now coming to a point where you might want to take a minute and get the elements for the Lord's table. We're going to keep communion at this point, celebrate communion. And those are the two things that the simple elements that we use are, are bread and some kind of juice. I just want to remind you that on the night the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took some bread and he broke it. And he said to his followers who were with him for that Passover meal, this is my body that's given for you. And he broke it, he prayed, and he broke the bread. And then he said to them uh, that as often as you eat this bread, you do it in remembrance of me. This is my body given for you. What it means as we hold this bread in preparation of communion, that we've done the heart work, we've examined our heart. First issue that we ask ourselves is, do I believe that Jesus gave all of himself for me? The second thing that, that happens as we come to the Lord and we're preparing ourselves, we realize that we are a group of people who were bought by the death of the Lord Jesus himself, that in his body, he bore the judgment I deserved. So when I eat this bread, I remember his death. I remember that it cost Jesus everything to redeem me. So it's a great leveler because there's no one for whom Jesus paid more and there's no one for whom Jesus paid less. Each one of us is a redeemed person at the expense of Jesus Christ's own life and it cost him that life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life to bring us to him. So as we hold this bread, what we're really saying is, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died in my place so that I might be adopted into your forever family. Thank you.
the second element that we're given in communion is um, grape juice, the cup, wine. And what Jesus says to us is that when he takes the cup, he, he says to his disciples, this is the new covenant written in my blood. A new agreement. We've already talked about covenants. It's about relationship. We are the ones that he wants to be in relationship with. And the way he establishes that relationship is through his death and resurrection. But covenant and new covenant has a, a special meaning for the Christian because it's really like the idea of a will, the final testament, the new testament. And a covenant isn't in place until someone actually has died. And when they've died, then the new will is read, or the will is read, the, the, the final intents. And what it does is it gives us an inheritance. It tells us what we have been given um, from the person who has died. And so the will that Jesus has written for us is, first of all, that we belong, that we are his forever family. But then we think about all the other things that we've received, adoption, love, acceptance, the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, who then abides with us. We're the temple of the living God. He's right inside us. Everywhere we go, God is. And we really realize all of this, plus heaven, the life to come, in the new resurrection that we will share, is ours through what Jesus did for us. So when we drink this cup, we are remembering that Jesus wants us to have all of this. And the means whereby he's giving it to us is through his death and resurrection. And so we're saying, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. And I'm so grateful for every benefit you give me in yourself. Communion typically ends with this great line. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup or from this cup, you show the Lord's death until he comes. But let me conclude with a promise that comes later in the New Testament. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his throne with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Father be honor and glory, dominion and power, now and forever. Amen. God bless you as you live out what it means to be part of the family of God in Church of the City and in your MC. Well, church, it has been good to be with you for another week of our vision series. Uh, I'm excited to be gathered together again next week for week four. And so we'll see you soon.